Welcome to Needlepoint Living. This is a podcast where we talk about all of the very best things that Needlepoint has to offer. Thank you for being here and thank you for listening. I'm Mary Catherine, your host, and I'm so excited to introduce to you our guest for today, Meg Fielder, who's also, am I saying, I'm saying your last name right? You are. Am I? Yes. Okay. Meg Fielder. Okay, good. I thought I should have asked before we hit play, hit record. Uh, Meg Fielder, who is also known to me on my Instagram page as the Needlepoint Finisher. Welcome, Meg. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. Hello. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. So um, tell, let's just jump right in. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am the Needlepoint Finisher on Instagram and I've been needlepointing for about seven years now. I actually started when my twins were babies. They took really good naps all the time. And I was so bored sitting, doing nothing for two hours and having to be quiet. I felt like I couldn't do laundry. I didn't want to like open and close doors or close the machines. I could fold, but other than that, there wasn't much to do when they napped. So I started needlepointing anyhow, and I ended up with a stack of finished canvases. And when I went to actually have those finished, I realized what that would entail if I dropped them all off. And I really wanted them to all be a finished product. So I ended up teaching myself how to finish um, and with some guidance from a couple of stores and just some friends. I got some good little pointers and I feel like I got pretty good at it. Okay. So this is amazing. Let's go back. When you first started stitching, did, did anybody in your family grow up as stitchers? How, how did you think, okay, I'm going to start needle pointing as a hobby I'm going to take up. So it's funny, my great grandmother needle pointed. And I guess she made like chair covers and all sorts of things. Um, none of which still exist, which is so sad to think about. Um, my grandmother tried to needle point once she was in um, Rockport, Massachusetts at a store that's I guess long gone, but she did a piece and didn't know to stitch a large piece on bars. So it stretched out sideways and they tried to block it twice and told her that they couldn't do it. And it ended up getting thrown away. So we don't have any needle point in my family. But it's still left. Uh, oh. But I was on Instagram and I saw someone stitch something and I thought it was great. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I found Osterville needle point. I was visiting my parents for the summer. So I drove down to Osterville and bought a canvas. They said, oh gosh, you'll do that one in a couple hours. Just one of the little shift dresses. Yes. Um, so I stitched that up, you know, over a few days and then went back and got a couple more and I was hooked from like, right. Fr hooked from the very first stitch. Right. That's what I say. Mm -hmm. Hooked. Um, Absolutely. okay. So you taught yourself mm -hmm. how to finish. Were you a okay. sewer? Did you sew? Do you, did you do other needlework crafts? This, uh, this uh is blowing my mind. My mom and my grandmother and my great-grandmother all sewed. So okay. I grew up with sewing machines around and my grandmother was always making quilts and her friends would come over and we would be at the dining room table at our beach house, like tying quilts together before long arm machines were really popular. I remember sitting, helping sew, or I guess they would put the threads, but they would let me help tie the knots to tie the layers of the quilts together. Um, so I just always grew up doing crafts and sewing and I got my first sewing machine when I was 10 or so. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love quilts. Do you have, is your house just full of quilts? It's full of quilts. Oh, 
It's full of wells. It's the best, right? Um, okay, so how did you learn how to teach yourself how to finish? I mean, like, I know that. How do you even start? How do you say, I'm going to do this for myself? I think I have one of those personalities that, for better or for worse, I think I can do anything. That's um, for better. So I, yeah, except when I tell my husband, let's, um, gut the master bathroom and I'll just tell myself it will be fine. It will only take me a weekend. One year later, we're showering in there. I did it. Just a lot longer than it. You did it. Yeah. I did it though. Yeah. Um, so I've always just been someone that felt like I could do anything and I realized I wanted to try and do it. So yeah. I did. Okay. Um, were there after- YouTube videos? Did you read books? Did you talk to people? Did you deconstruct uh, or just look? I mean, I don't know. I watched a few YouTube videos. Okay. Um, okay. And I had initially watched one that someone used glue. And okay. this was years ago. And I tried to do one. And I was like, well, this is a big old mess. And I still have it because because I used glue, I can't take it apart. I can't redo it, which is really sad. So even though I would never do that now and I'm much better, it's sad that I have that one that I listened to someone and used glue because yes. now it's covered in glue. So I can't go back and fix it or make it fix better. It. it just sort of is a um, staple of the time of where I was and finishing. And it's the only one I ever did like that, but it made me stop. I didn't want to ruin another canvas. So okay, I took so- a years and just let the pile grow. And then you're like, I'm just going to, here we go. We're going to finish all of these. It is the right way. Yeah. And obviously you perfected your technique and then you started opening, taking, finishing from, from the public. That's what we say down here. Do you sew for the public? Is that a thing? Like in the Northeast, we say that like, do you sew? Oh yes, I sew. But if you sew for the public, that means, you know, oh yeah. Oh, oh, I sew, but I don't sew for the public. Meaning, you know, I don't sew for other people. I just sew in my house. I don't. So you started finishing for the public. That's a, for the public. That's a Southern is whatever. Yeah. So when did you start finishing for the public? So I, (laughs) it's funny. Um, I put a little note in my calendar when I officially started sewing for the public. Yes, right. And it'll be one year tomorrow. No. So I'm at one year mark. Congratulations. Said, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, I brought some finished pieces into a couple stores and asked them what they thought. Um, if they were good enough or what, you know, yeah. was I on the right track? And I really was just asking for myself, like, what do you think sure. of these? Are you okay? And they said, would you take some hope today? So I left feeling pretty good. Um, yeah. And, and I hadn't really intended on becoming a finisher for the public, but my kids are in school. Their school's down the street. They get out at two o'clock and I wasn't working. I was home with them and I figured we nice to have something to do during the day and I love doing it. So it kind of fell into my lap. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, it's really cool that you've been able to take this hobby that you love. And obviously you still stitch, right? I mean, you, you stitch and finish and your whole life is doing all this needlepoint stuff, but you've also been able to find a way to do this. And, um, like you say, run a small business out of your house, a woman owned business and be at home and be a mom and a wife. And, um, like you said, be there when your kids get home from school. That's so cool. 
that you've been able to do that for yourself. It's really been nice. Um, I didn't picture myself doing this. I always loved the idea of it. When we were talking about finishing in the wait times, I remember thinking like, gosh, I wish I could figure out how to do that. I would love to finish needlepoint and to be able to put it all together at the end. Um, my mom has a long arm. So my grandmother would tie quilts together my whole life. My mom then took it up a notch and she bought a long arm. So she finishes everyone's quilts. So it's funny that in our family, we all have some sort of finishing that we do. You are finishers. It runs in the family. Mm-hmm. It runs in the family for sure. Um, okay, let's talk finishing. Why? Why? Oh, I have so many questions about finishing. Why? Uh, I'm just going to stop because I don't even know where to begin. And I'm just going to like give you the floor. To why, just go. Why, what I'm trying to say is why does it take so long? Why are there not enough in it? I mean, I have all of the questions. I mean, you probably know what all the questions are. So just go. Sure. So truly there are not enough finishers. There's not enough of us. Um, that's why the wait's so long. Okay. I think that for a long time, there was a lot of like smoke and mirrors with finishing because finishers were not on the internet. You couldn't just Google a needlepoint finisher. I think a lot of them were older ladies who did it, who had perfected mm-hmm. their craft over a really long time. Sure. And they weren't really on the internet. They worked with a few stores that they worked with or one or however they ran their business. And um, because you couldn't find them, the stores really had a monopoly on finishing. Mm-hmm. And the wait list grew and grew. Uh, with the pandemic, Needlepoint really exploded in a way that I think was sort of unprecedented. And there already weren't enough finishers. And then it was just almost a joke at how much work there was to be finished versus how many finishers there were. And I think the wait times just grew and grew and grew. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's been really neat to see the industry create different self-finishing pieces and help people be able to use their needlepoint in different ways, the versatility of finishing that we're seeing Mm now, Mm -hmm. um, where things can have, you know, multiple uses. I've got um, my friend Kayla stitched this Pippin Rue Santa. We call him Stanta because we made him be a stand-up. We've got a little pocket in the back. With an acrylic I love cut. Okay. Um, so Stanta can stand up, but you can also take this out and right. Stanta becomes a flat and he could slide right into a tray. So he could be used multiple ways. And I think having pieces like this that are versatile are really important because these pieces aren't inexpensive and it's nice to be able to use them in different ways. You know, if yes. you were entertaining and had this on your buffet, but then needed to serve from there, he could come out and become a tray and be used in another way. Yes, that's brilliant. And sometimes I remember being a new stitcher. And one of the things that's over, overwhelming um, and I started stitching like before COVID. So there's so much more information just out there that you can see on the internet and on um, social media. But sometimes as a new stitcher, it's overwhelming because you don't know what the possibilities are. You, you, you know, you see a canvas and you're just like, okay, what is this? I remember like a scissor case. When I first saw a scissor case, 
I mean, if you had said you're, I'm going to like rip your toenails out. If you tell me, if you can't tell me what this is, I would have been like, I have no idea what that is. You know, you, I mean, meaning you just don't, you don't know the possibilities. Um, oh, that's okay. That's, you know, how, how can you use your needlepoint and how can you make, um, what are the options of finishing? They're just so, like you said, a tray, um, a pillow, an eyeglass case, a pair of croquis, a dog dog collar, um, a stand-up, an ornament. I mean, bookends, the, the list just goes on. And um, sometimes it takes a finisher to help a stitcher know what the possibilities are because, um, like, I wouldn't have come up with that. You know, I would have never thought of those right. fabulous options. It's funny um, with the different pieces, like you're saying, like, what do I do with it? I think there's some stores that are really helpful when it comes to finishing, especially when you're bringing your work in through a store um, that will sit with you and say, okay, you know, you've got, say, this, this is also my friend Kayla's. Um, they happen to be sitting here. She did this kissing ball and she really wants it to be a tray, which I think okay. is great. So it's finished right now just as a flat to be a tray. This is great. We could also add a loop to the top and she could hang it in a wreath. But there's so many different things you could do. Yes. But I think if you bring it in through a store, sometimes they're like, okay, well, what do you want it to be? And I'm not saying this is a, I'm making a generalization. But sure. A lot of the time, it's sort of up to the stitcher. And I think even sometimes the person taking the order, writing the, you know, filling the finishing form out, doesn't know which finisher is going to end up with that piece because stores have so many sure. and they don't know what the possibilities are at each store. Um, so it's just, it's been really fun to work directly with customers because I did work for stores for quite a bit and I still um, do some ornaments and a few things for a couple, but I love taking work directly in because um, there's just different things that I could say, Hey, I know you wanted it to be this, but did you think about for versatility purposes, would you want to do this and this? Um, so that's been a really fun thing to get to know the stitchers and sort of sometimes they have great ideas um, and what their intention was for a piece when they started stitching it versus what it comes out to be. I, I can imagine that is, it, it is very rewarding. And sometimes, I mean, I remember you're, you're finishing some things for me and I remember uh, you sent me a message and we're like, Hey, I know you want this as an ornament, but I could really make this a stand up too. And I mean, my mind was like blown. I was like, Oh my God, of course. Yes, please. And so it just, um, like you said, it just adds additional life to a piece and, um, allows you to use it in many different ways to really use your needlepoint because as you said, you've spent so much time on it. They're not inexpensive projects. Um, you know, you obviously love it or you wouldn't have stitched it and having a lot of versatility with different finishing options really gives you um, a chance, I think, to highlight your stitching and let people see it in different ways and really use it and enjoy it. Um, so that's really cool. I, I can imagine that's rewarding, you know, like you said, directly working with, um, the stitchers. So, okay. Let's talk glue. Sure. Let's talk. Okay, glue. But, uh, and, and let me say, I think this is so, um, 
Yeah. Okay. Let's talk glue. Talk glue. What's the deal with glue? So I think that as far as self-finishing goes, I think someone started making videos where they used glue. I fell victim to it myself <laughs> when I first started, but I think it spread like wildfire because it was sort of a simple like, oh, just stick a bunch of pins in the side of this and, you know, lift each tab, add the glue, do whatever. But um, I think when people are gluing, they're nervous. So they add more glue than they need. Just it's a heavy hand. Now the glue is dripping. It just becomes a mess. And it, I talk okay. so hard. Sorry, Megan. Okay. No. Okay. So when you say glue, okay. So help me under, I'm not a finisher. Sure. So people, clearly, when people glue, they're gluing, what are they gluing? Does that make sense? Like, okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Tell me. Yes. Okay. Thank you. This is perfect. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. This is perfect. No. Okay. Yeah. When you are finishing an ornament. Okay. I've got this sweet little good night moon ornament. Oh my gosh. I love that canvas. So this is the foam core board that goes inside of the ornament. Yes. And I use warm and natural because that's what goes inside the batting that would go inside of a quilt okay not the not the like white polyester chintzy batting that is a little too puffy and also loses its puff over time um, okay. i use 100 percent cotton like an all natural i'll pull it out okay it's warm and natural so you can cut this i've got two layers in here it's thinner Okay. Like this is what my mom and my grandmother put inside of a quilt. Okay. And I'll also be honest, they give me all their scraps that they got off the sides there of the quilt. Go. And I totally use it in the ornament. Love it. Perfect. Um, so I cut that out. I put it inside of the canvas and you've got all the little tabs sticking out. So from here, someone would take, you, they would clip all the little pieces down. Yes. One by one going across each time. Then there's also some pins involved. I'm not really sure what happens with the pin okay. situation. Okay. Okay. I would just clip it because I lace everything together um, with a okay. thick specialized thread for that. Um, but if you're gluing, there's some pins involved. Okay. When and you're gluing the canvas to the back, to the, to the mat board. Yes. They actually glue it right to the board. Okay. Okay. Got so it. There's pins holding things together, but then there's also the clips that come out over that. So they remove each clip one at a time, lift it, do some glue, some tacky glue, which does not come out of anything, and then put it back down and then put okay. the clip on it, which to then hold it to dry glue on the clip that you then need to use later. So I've heard people say the clips are one and done. Um, okay. I'm on my same set of clips. Okay. In the past. So it's weird to need to like throw the clips away, but they do get glue on them. Okay. Um, yes. So yeah, they would actually glue everything down. Okay. And then they do the same thing to make a back. All right. And then they glue everything together there. And then I've even seen some videos and sometimes it's not tacky glue, it's hot glue. Okay. And that's just, I mean, okay. that's never So anywhere. when you say no glue, there is no glue anywhere. No, no glue. Fascinating. Um, I spent the weekend in Nantucket and got to meet Sherry Lambert in person and she'll laugh when she hears this, but Sherry tried to finish some ornaments with hot glue and 
trying to fix that is really hard, especially with hot, I mean, tack and glue is a nightmare too, but hot glue in particular is just really challenging because now you know, you've got to try to iron some of the, I don't want to say mistakes, but if it wasn't blocked all the way or if it just wasn't done properly, you need your iron to try to move things around. But then the glue is melting as you're doing it. The hot glue is becoming liquid again. The plastic right. is melting. So if you move the iron, you could get that on the stitching. And there was just glue everywhere. Right. So it becomes really hard to fix. So this is also my question. Okay. It, no matter, even if you're using glue, you, you have to sew. There's sewing involved in finishing a round ornament. You're going to sew something on. I have seen a video where someone glued every last bit of it, including the cording. And that's okay. where you're just getting the globs everywhere. And then yeah, it's just hard. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I guess what, what I'm trying, I think what I'm asking here is that there are, it's doable. Um, it, like it does glue really save time or does glue make it easier? Or do you, like, why do you think people use glue? I think because someone made a video that said that glue was fine. So, okay. people, you know, you're following along. Okay. If this is, how do I finish? Right. An how do I finish okay. in the corner? Go to Google. You find this YouTube video. You're so excited. You get in your You've got the tacky glue out, the hot glue, whatever they're telling you to use. And I did it on my first ornament. Right. And it came out right. so poorly. Not that it came out so poorly. I just had glue everywhere. Right. It's hard to control how much glue is coming out. And I'm crafty. Like, I do things like that. And I had a really hard time. Sure. So I think it's sure. just you seem like you do in a way. Yeah, totally. And, and I think what I hear you saying is that if, you're, if you are using glue and you're having trouble with the glue and you're getting glue everywhere that there is a way to do it without glue that isn't that much more difficult than gluing and in many ways it may be actually easier correct so you know there there it's not a glue isn't necessarily a time saver or a money it's just it's a way that people are doing it but if you're having trouble with glue there is another way there's another way. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's the same thing, but instead of gluing these down, you just lace them together. So you would just go back and forth with the threads to hold everything down. So when you that say is, lace, the whole thing, you, you, when you say lace, you're taking like fishing wire or something, not, not um, fishing. No, like, you're, okay. And you're so you are, you're running it through your, like a corset. Yes. Yes, you're just kind of going back and forth the whole way around and you lace the canvas right to the board. Like that is the difference. You're not waiting for glue to dry. There's not like a piece of rocket science right in the back skip the glue. And now you don't have to dry. It's so fast. Because you can probably stitch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is fascinating. Oh my gosh. Okay, okay. Because, yeah. Oh, wow. Because I see all this glue, like I see so many things about glue and I I just was very ignorant. I didn't know. Okay. This is fascinating. I love this. Okay. Um, I've never heard anybody talk about lacing and maybe I'm just not paying attention, but the lacing the back, like a corset and that's what pulls it tight. It's brilliant. And you don't have to wait for the glue to dry. I think those videos used to be available, but to monetize, 
finishing videos, like finishing how-to videos, the finishers who lace have taken all of their lacing videos down, and now it's hard to even find one that doesn't use glue at this point, if you wanted to reference one. Yeah. And I, what I also hear you saying is that there's like such a, sh you know, like the pie just gets bigger, right? The pie, when more people like come to the table, the pie doesn't stay the same size. The pie gets bigger. And I hear you saying there's not enough finishers. So when people are finishing their own things, that doesn't really take anything away from anybody. No, not at all. Um, yeah. Um, and you're a fin you are a professional finisher. Right. Right, right. Like you're right. Um I don't think I'm missing any orders. I don't think like, I have a ton of work in. I don't think I'm missing out on anything because someone else wants to learn how to do it. For everyone who wants to learn how to self-finish, there's five people who say, That sounds great, but I love stitching and I'd like to just pay to have my piece finished. And that's okay Ditto. too. Right. Right. And hello. Yes. And I think what I hear, you can only do so much, right? So it, it's not helpful for you or the stitcher to just have stacks of, you know, being a year and a half behind, like, isn't helpful. That's not fun. That's not enjoyable for you, right? Because you get a million emails that no. are like, where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? It's It's better just to yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. Um, all right. What are some things, I mean, you're a stitcher and you're a finisher. So what are things that, let's use me, for example, I'm a stitcher and I don't finish. What are some things that would be helpful for stitchers to know that based on what you see, uh, coming into your office, we don't know. Does is that a fair, uh, what, what, how can we be better stitchers, um, to make the finisher's job easier? Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. Um, I don't know. One thing I see not all the time, but occasionally I'll get pieces in that aren't fully stitched in the sense that, um, my poor friend Kayla is just in the hot seat tonight. She doesn't even know. Um, last Christmas, Kayla sent me these gorgeous dog bones. They were dangy little dog bones. They were outlined in gold. She stopped stitching at the gold. So I called her and I said, did you intend on seeing that gorgeous gold outline? That will be at the very least covered by cording. I mean, I can be as careful as I possibly could to not tuck anything necessarily around the board. I try not to lose any stitches, but the cording is still going to touch. And it was only one row of gold. She's like, oh no, I wanted to see the gold. And it made sense. I mean, it was throughout the rest of the piece that it needed a couple rows of stitching. So I think something helpful to know is if you want to see something when a piece is finished, make sure that there's a, a you know, row or two around that to allow for the piece to be stretched around the board that you're not going to lose any detail. Because so how... To pull these tabs around... And you want the stitching to, they say, kiss the table. So if you laid it down, the kiss, the stitches would just touch the table. So if they just touch, I mean, I'm just touching the bottom of the board with that little tab. Um, it has to wrap around the board. The board has some depth. So you're not losing stitches, but a couple stitches are here on the edge. Right. So if you wanted to see that gold, for instance, it would have to still be on the top. You don't want it to be pulled around. And that even and if the you... 
Yeah. And it's not that it like totally hides it. It's just that it's not, I know what you can't, it's almost um, distorted. It, there, it, you, you can't see it all. It doesn't look, if you look at it from a distance, you, you're not going to see that border because yes, if you hold it and look up close, you might be able to, but if you're looking at it from a distance, like an outline of a dog bone, you're not going to be able to see it. So how no. many rows should two or three, how many rows? I think three is a little overkill. I think two is fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, does the back of our canvas really matter? Not at all. You and I are the only ones who will ever see it. We're going to hide it away forever. Do you ever, do you have to clip? I mean, do you clip the things short or if they're just like longing hanging, is that really not that big of a I mean, most of them they just get tucked in. The only time that it's a little annoying as you're going to finish is when people, if they had a canvas and... Now I'm just grabbing things around me. That's okay. Sometimes people, this is part of someone's two for thought. Sometimes people will take, instead of just starting a stitch in the back, mm -hmm. um, they'll tie a knot out here mm -hmm. and then go in from the front and bring it over and just start stitching wherever they are so they don't have mm -hmm. to necessarily tie it off or do a waist knot, which is fine. But then when I go to cut it out, I've got all these crazy pieces and knots in the area that I now need to fold over or do whatever I'm doing. So please don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Let's you know, maybe not do that. All yeah. the knots on the side coming in are a little, yes. get a little long. There's the, the knots get in the way, but beyond okay. that, I don't find any strings hanging from the back I and mean, it's nice. They're all tucked in, but. I'll pull this okay. I've done this before and I, I've like stitched too much. Like there are times I've, um, what am I trying to say? Like I've, okay. Do you know how, when someone, when I have made my own outline, mm -hmm. I have outlined, I've had an irregular shaped ornament that I have stitched extra things around, or maybe I was the beginning of your stitcher and I wanted it to be a circle, but like it didn't, the right side was like not a circle. Like, you know, I mean, like it, the circle became like not a circle. How do you, cause you can't cut something that's been stitched. It's hard. So if it really is, I call those the blobs. The blob. Yeah. I've, I, I don't do that anymore. Uh-huh. It happens. It happens. And often I'll get some sort of crazy shapes or it's an irregular ornament. And someone's trying to compensate for that and they're just stitching away and don't realize that they went out two inches on one side and one on the other. It's I'm laughing hard. because like it has, like if only <laughs> you knew, like I've done this and it's gone off to the finisher and somehow what I'm saying is magically it comes back lovely and no one would ever know. But I know what I sent off and I'm like, God bless you, finisher. You oh, have fixed so my blob. Uh, the blobs are, they're, they're doable, but I have had times where I've, you don't want to cut into the stitching, especially if it's a larger stitch, like a Bargello, um, where if you cut into that, you're going to have pieces start unraveling. Um, but I have had a couple that I've had to cut in, like notch into the stitching a little because I just couldn't pull the canvas around and make it all be tight in the way it needed to be. 
Um, There's some interfacing that is fusible, meaning you can iron it to your piece and it will stick on. And on a couple, I've had to use that. Um, So the fusible interfacing will hold all the threads on the back. And it, it's like a piece of fabric that will just fuse itself right onto the back of the stitching, but it's not something that will absorb into the stitching, if you will. Yes. So that way, if I have to notch in to be able to fold everything around, it won't unravel. I love this. Okay. What else do we need to know? What, what else, what wisdom do you have to share with stitchers out there? Um, so something I wanted to mention while we were chatting is... Yeah. I just want to talk about acrylics for a minute. Okay, please. Um, there is a big push for standardized acrylics. I think meaning um, standard sizes and okay. shapes and things like that, which I think is awesome because um, there's a lot of designers who have made, say, four by four coasters. And mm-hmm. getting acrylics done especially through a store, can be really expensive. Um, I have a friend that used a really well-known finisher that she found on Instagram to do some coasters. And the coasters themselves were technically standard coasters. They're $90 a piece. So for a set of four, before she paid to have her pieces finished into flats, the coasters alone were $360. Uh, and that wasn't through a store. So it's, it, it can be crazy. Um, those And those were considered standard. So I just think acrylics in a lot of ways get crazy. Um, but speaking to the, that specific set, sometimes what you've stitched lends itself well to be a standard. For instance, um, who is it that has the raw bar coaster set? Is that Morgan Julia? I think so. Okay. The background I is think just so. blue. It comes all the way out. So if you were a finisher finishing to the standard coaster and you had, you know, four and a quarter inches or whatever your actual measurement inside was, you could finish it and make sure that it would fit. Um, but other times you could have, this is one that I actually took apart for my friend because it was a mess. This coaster has a border on it. and there's no extra stitches. Okay. Right. So it's instantly more difficult to, but I think in this case, she was instructed to not leave extra stitches. I would have wanted extra stitches and I would have pulled everything over to make sure that that border showed. Um, I think in this case, she was instructed to not do that, but they're a little pulled. They're not really blocked. And these did not fit in the standard acrylics. They were Sometimes too. Sometimes it can be the way you've stitched it which sounds a little crazy, but if you did everything, um, say with a brick stitch and everything is pulling, all of your stitches are going left to right and everything is pulling in. By the time you finished a four by four, you would probably have more of like a three and a quarter by four because everything's being, every stitch is pulling the canvas in. Your stitches alone can affect the size of something. Also, what stitch someone does, because if someone did a brick stitch on that whole thing, I promise you it would narrow itself up a little bit. Um, just the nature of pulling on the canvas in the same direction through every stitch naturally will come together a little bit. So I think that the standard sizes are 
very well meant, but like these don't work in that at all. So you as a so you as a stitcher, that that's too big for a standard size. This too small. Four inch. This was too large because when you actually finished it and then added cording, this was four inches, but the standard coaster was four inches. And without, you know, pulling it down and around a board, there also was no board on this. So, so there's a lot of, so I hear what you're saying. There's all these variables. There's a lot of variables. That makes sense. That you have to, it requires some work on the stitcher. And I would say, even as a designer, I can only I'm going to design one standard size. Like you said, I, I, my choice has to be a four, six by three insert, you know, or three by six or a th- whatever the passports are, you know, like three and a half by four, or whatever they are. I, I have to just design the canvas that size. And then there is going to be a little bit of work on the part of the stitcher to look at their canvas, do the, ma- it, it's not just, um, black and white or cut and pay. It, it's not, there no, does, there takes some. Simple. Yeah. It's not that simple. And everyone stitches differently. Some people stitch really tightly, depending on the stitch you do, it can change the size. So on a self-finishing item, the onus is then going to fall on the stitcher. If they plan on self-finishing something, then you know to be careful and make sure that if they need an extra, they add it or if it needs to be blocked, they do that. There are things that if you're taking on the responsibility of self-finishing that, you know, if you want to do it right and make sure it's great because you've spent, you know, so much time, money, and energy on this piece, the onus then would fall on them for self-finishing pieces, which is great. Um, but at the same token, I think that if a finisher is being willing to finish to a standard piece, they need to be able to deliver so that it fits and looks really nice. And if it doesn't, they need to be able to communicate that, why this particular piece does not work in the standard size and what they would recommend. Um, and with that said, I think that most pieces need a custom acrylic. Um, and it's really nice to have an acrylic, even if it is a four and a quarter or whatever you need to do, and then sort of know to stitch to that if you bought one set that was larger, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is, but for most pieces, I just see this custom acrylics coming out so much better um, right. and really fitting a piece and not being too tight. There's so many variables. A lot of the um, pockets, I have one that I just got back from my fabricator. Um, this pocket is just perfection. The piece right. fits right in and it looks really nice from the front. It's not squished. No, it looks uh, beautiful. This was, and this is one of those versatility things. This was an eyeglass case um, <laughs> that I bought. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, no, that could be a bag. And I didn't realize it was an eyeglass case. So I just added the stripes and a monogram. And I initially was going to make it just a little bag for my beach bag. But I ended up making it into a little tray. Okay. The stripe down the center of an eyeglass case. I've never seen that before. I didn't That's see it amazing. as my eyeglass case. Okay, like my brain is like, okay, eyeglass case. Like I'm like going through all the eyeglass cases that, you know, those cute. Um, who is it? Oh, oh, it's um evergreen needlepoint that has the cute ones. She just launched them with the um, 
fruit. Oh, I haven't seen those. Oh, oh yes. Okay. Evergreen needlepoint. It's an eyeglass case and it's, it has, fr- it's got, one has like peaches, one has bananas, one has strawberries, so maybe oranges. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be sent. And you, so you just stitch right down the center, the way the canvas had separation. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. My mind is like blown. Um, okay. Oh my gosh. I'm still thinking about that. That's so amazing. Um, finishing custom. What else? What else? I mean, what else do we need to know? And you may not have any, I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot, yeah. but like, notes. like, did I say it all? This is so good. I think ultimately finishing should be an, finishing is an investment. When you're hiring a finisher to do something for you, it is an investment. But the whole piece was, um, needlepoint is not an inexpensive hobby. It never has been. Most of these canvases are hand painted. Um, Someone took their time and designed them and put so much thought and effort and stitched it to make sure it made sense. And like all those things are happening behind the scenes. So then you've now purchased it, you love it. And it's a piece that you're going to have, uh, whether it's a gift or it's something for you or for your family, something you're going to use every day, something I'll take out every year at Christmas and remember, but it's, it's all an investment. And while I think it's an investment, I don't think it should necessarily break the bank. Um, so I think that the last few years, especially since the pandemic, seeing finishers on Instagram is really fun. I think it's great to see. Um, I joke that we need like a chat. The finishers need a chat. We need to be able to talk amongst ourselves. Um, but it's nice to see what someone else is doing. And I'm sure someone's gotten an idea for me. Um, it's just nice to be able to do that and have this online community of, I will say women, because it is mostly women, but sure. of stickers who can share these ideas and make pieces be more versatile and every day. And I like seeing finish. I like being able to have that relationship with my stitchers. And I like that stitchers have the opportunity to have that with their finisher because with the smoke and mirrors that existed before, you just didn't have that connection. You couldn't have the conversations. Um, And I don't think everyone necessarily knows all the steps and sort of what goes into finishing. You know, I think you're so right, Meg. And the thing to add to that from my experience is that I'll never, you know, I'm one of those people who is, is, um, will never finish. I'd I'd have no desire to finish. I don't think I would be a good finisher. I'm not good at measuring. I'm not good. I mean, you know, number like cutting, sewing, all that stuff is just not my thing. Um, but what it, what sort of looking behind the peeking behind the curtain a little bit has done for for me um with the things that even though I'm not interested in personally learning how to finish I obviously see content from finishers or people who are finishing and self finishing and like you said I think it's great that people are learning how to do this but what it does for me is it actually adds value to the cost of finishing because I see, I'm like, Oh, you're going to charge. If this is $65, I gladly, like I know. Yeah. I will have, yes, this is worth, you know, I'm like, Oh, 
you know, I never wonder like, why is this so expensive or why does this cost? When you watch somebody do it, I'll tell you, I had, are you ready for this? I had a shop. She's retired now, but she was a shop owner. She was teaching a, a needlepoint painting class, a canvas painting class in a shop and not her shop. She had retired from the shop and she was doing a needlepoint painting class um, for customers of the store, clients of a needlepoint shop that she, she had come in on a Saturday morning and she was doing a painting class. And, um, you know, we're all like, everyone's like so eager with your painting class and she gives us a design and she gives us canvas and she gives us paint and she gives us, you know, a pen or whatever. We're supposed to like start marking and counting this outline. And it doesn't take very long for everyone at the table to be like, wait, you count? Wait, shh. you know, I stop. Yeah. Right. Like, wait, this is how y'all do this. You count every, and she said, when I owned a shop, I would always do painting classes because what it did was my customers that would come in and they didn't maybe understand the value of a hand-painted canvas or did not understand the cost, um, why it was what it was. Um, I would invite them to a painting class and she said they would come to a painting class and she said those customers never, ever complained ever again, or they told, I mean, it wasn't about complaining, but it was just like education adds value. And, um, those customers were like, wow, had no idea. It was this, this hard, you know, and it was a snowflake. So we were like counting this one snowflake and the snowflake comes out. And I don't think she wasn't trying to be, it was not a trick. It wasn't, you know, manipulative or, um, but it, but th there was certainly some awareness in that education. Um, I think made everyone realize how challenging and how time consuming some of this this stuff is. That appears very simple, but when you're really doing it, um, anyway, it takes a, a lot of time to to do it, and there, that's why you said it, there's value. So, so that's what I would say too about you know seeing behind kind of the curtain of, uh, finishing. Cause you're right. It, I mean, it has been for so long. It was like, it was just magic. You know, you just dropped your stuff off and <laughs> you had no, you're right. You were never even communicating with. No, you had no idea where it was mailed, where it was sent. Mm -hmm. Did it stay in town? Did it go across the country? You had no idea. You know, where it was, who did it. I feel like in some ways, like what fabrics were available or you know, if you said you wanted white and navy piping on something or cording rather, if someone got it and thought, oh my gosh, I would have done green and navy on this. Um, just to have someone who's sitting there holding your piece, having it, you know, be that flat for a minute before the cording goes on. I don't know. I just like to, a lot of things come in and are cut and dry and easy, but then there's some pieces that you can have a little more fun with. And yeah. Really and I that. think too, you know, that's not really, like you said, so many shop owners are just so, uh, you're right. The shop owner may not even know, and it's not a fault of the shop. It's just, they're not the finisher. You know, the finisher may have an idea or have a fabric that the shop, nobody would know that while right. they're filling out your form, you know? Okay. So this is real quick. I think sure. we're running over, but this is so fun. I'm having the best time. Okay. Let's talk about finisher's choice. 
Okay. I'm terrified. Okay. So I always have a vision in my mind. This I'm this person. Okay. I have a vision in my mind of what I want things to sort of look like when they're finished as I'm stitching it. And that's what makes it fun. It kind of, you know, the circle is, I can anticipate. And my nightmare is I'm going to send, so I never do finisher's choice, not because I don't trust a finisher. It's just, I see things out there that just may not be my aesthetic. And I'm just terrified something's going to come back and say finisher's choice. And it's going to be a style or have fabric or have something that just really isn't me. But there's sometimes I see things that are finisher's choice that come back and I'm like, that is, I would have never come up with that. I would have never, ever seen that. I would have never recommended that. So how do you, I guess I have two questions. One, as a finisher, how do you sort of make your finishing decisions as if I say finisher's choice? And also how can we communicate? So that's one. And then I guess the second question is how do we like, I want it both ways, right? I want to give you some freedom, but like, I want you to not like go too crazy and then come back. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, this doesn't go. Right. How how do you, what do you do? It's sort of a hard balance um, with so many ornaments that come in and go out or pieces in general. Sometimes it's hard. If it's finishers choice, it's easy to be like, okay, you know, if I was doing this one, I would probably choose the red or the green and do silk peony on the back, you know, and then maybe white and blue. Or It's easy to just sort of, this is a good example. It's easy to sort of choose two colors that are within this. Um, I really like the way white looks in any cording with another color. I love the way the twist comes out. So with this, I would probably choose a white and really any other color and it would look darling. Um, I think as a finisher, getting so many forms in and seeing how many people like their ornaments, it sort of helps because you're like, okay, well, you know how everyone else has done that ornament because you start to finish multiples of the same design. Right. Um, so that's nice. It's hard to reach out when it says finisher's choice. A lot of the time I'll just go for it. Um, but certain customers like on the form, it says, you know, if you have any requests or, you know, let me know. I'll get a lot that are finishers choice, but like, but can you text me and just can you talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't mind doing that. Um, Cause sometimes I may choose something that someone is like, wait, if I had an option of these three, I might choose a different sure. one. Okay. I'm going to ask you some quick questions okay. about <laughs> stitching. All right. Uh-huh. 18 or 13. 18. Stretcher bars or in hand. Mm-hmm. I roll. Mm-hmm. You roll. Mm-hmm. I roll too. Roll my hand. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Big projects or small projects? Well, all that. Do you have it? Both? Both, but the big ones tend to take me a long time. I know, right? Because you get bored or you get distracted by other projects? I need that instant gratification. I just feel like I finished one and I get really excited. Some of the bigger ones, I really put my mind to it. I can do it, but. Totally get it. Do you have a favorite type of thread? So I stitch mainly with vineyard silk. That is my go-to. Um, but my favorite thread is dinky dyes. Dinky dyes is your mm-hmm. favorite red. Is there some a- fun variegated options that are just beautiful. 
for red. No, not thread. Not thread. thread. Oh, 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 okay. Your favorite thread is Dinky Dyes. Yes. But you stitch a lot with, I'm sorry. I thought you said they have the best red. Oh, no. They have lovely blues, like for skies. And um, they have a really pretty one for beaches. Dinky Dyes. Yes. I love it. And vineyard silk. Mm -hmm. I've kind of been on a vineyard kick. I've been, yeah, vineyard silk and vineyard merino. I, there is the, there's something about the vineyard silk that lays a little different than the other silks. Mm -hmm. It does. It dies lays very similarly to vineyard vineyard silk. Love it. Okay. Do you have a bucket list project? I mean, I've got a stash. Okay. Let's talk about that stash, Meg. Let's talk about that stash. How big is that stash? Um, Give just a rough, there's no I mean, judgment. It's probably maybe 25 or so. It's okay. Not too it's not oh, too that's bad. not bad. No, that's not no. bad at all. No, no, no. I mean, no, no, no. Okay. Do you have a favorite stitch? I never know what any of them are called. I'm terrible about that. I think it's cashmere or Parisian. Yes. Um, but I tend to do that one a lot in skies or beaches or just backgrounds in general. Do you that have a hard time with to... doing decorative? Not, not, yeah, it, that would be a decorative stitch, right? Do you have difficulty yeah. doing decorative stitches in hand? No. no. You're awesome. Um, okay. Can you thread a needle without a needle threader? I can. Of course you can. I don't use a needle threader. Just pinch it. Apparently I'm the only one. This pinching thing. Can't do it. Can't. I mean, if I don't have a needle threader, there's no stitching that it gets done. Like can't happen. I've tried. I've watched the video. No, I'm serious. I can't do it. I have a, I mean, I have a tapestry needle. I'm doing everything right. I just can't, I don't know if it's, I'm not seeing, I don't know if I'm just not lining it up. Right. I don't know what's happening, but this is a serious thing. I mean, it's a problem. I mean, I have a needle threader everywhere, so I can like grab one, like they're everywhere, but yeah, I can't do it. I've tried. I just wish I was that cool. When I watch y'all do it, I'm, it blows my mind every time. Yeah, because y'all look so cool. It's just like the way you can't do it. Okay. Um, Okay. Have you ever had yourself like a terrible stitching mishap, like spilled red wine on something or the dog ate your project? The first one. Spilled red wine? Mm -hmm. No. On a set of coasters. Did you spill the red wine or did someone else spill the red wine? Um. It was a wild night. Nobody really remembers who spilled those. My children, but it was, it wasn't really their fault. I felt bad because I definitely yelled. I was like, get out of the room. I panicked. <laughs> I finished dinner and I had been working on them and they were mine. Thank goodness. And it, but it was a really a lesson learned for me. Thank goodness it was my piece. Um, I like to stitch 40 on in bed at night. So I'll do a bunch of finishing down to just, I'll have it already like pinned, clipped, everything. And I sit in bed and just do the cording at night. And it's relaxing for me. So this set was mine, but my kids tried to like rearrange the pillows. And I had literally just come up and I walked to my room and I set the wine down because it was just my piece sitting there. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit and 
and my son rearranged the pillow and hit it. But it's not like he like purposely knocked it. It really was the pillow. So whose fault right. was it? I don't. I'll let that one go. But um, it was a tough lesson. The pillow's fault. Um, I used hydrogen peroxide because it came out. Um, but it took a day. So, so it's out. It's good. No issues. Came out. Yes, they lived till the tail. Um, but now I laugh because when I have coffee or anything to drink, really, I leave it on my vanity, like in a totally far away. Room. We have a fireplace in our room, so it's either on the mantle or the vanity. And if I want to sip, I have to get up and go take a sip, and I leave it there, and then I come back to wherever I was sitting. No Never drinks. Ever. So yeah, not only an arm's reach; it's like across oh. the room. Up on a mantle where no one can reach it. If only water goes in this room. It was a solid lesson that I learned. I was grateful it was my project and not someone else's. So, no but, I love it. Hydrogen peroxide. Okay. Yeah. What advice would you give a new needle pointer? Stitch what you love. Stitch what brings you joy. Stitch what makes you smile when you're flipping through canvases in the store or online. Um, stitch for yourself, stitch for your friends, but stitch what makes you happy to stitch. Because I feel like if you're doing a project that you don't necessarily love, that you're just trying to do for someone else or do it because it's new or cool or whatever it is, um, it just sort of takes the joy out. So stitch what you love. That's really good advice. I would agree too. All right. Last question. Just to sum it all up, how would you, how has Needlepoint really enriched and changed your life? I started needlepointing for something to do during nap time. I never intended it to be such a big part of my life. I think that in a lot of ways, it makes me slow down and really think about what's happening in my life. It makes me more deliberate um, and almost plan more. You know, if you want to stitch a first day of school canvas and school's coming up. I mean, you're thinking about that so far in advance. And I'm fortunate that I'm a finisher. And when I stitch ornament, I can finish it that day if I want. Um, but I, you know, if you're not a finisher or you can't do that yourself, there really is a lot of planning that goes into it to make sure that you can get it back in time. So I think it really made me more deliberate and really, you know, commemorating some of those big moments and even some of the smaller ones with a needlepoint piece. I think it makes you remember things more. Um, and even if something is sort of ephemeral, like a, I don't want to offend you, like say a Schitt's Creek canvas and it's an sure. David or something. And I had, did not stop that, but, um, you know, it's something that in a few years you're going to look at and go, oh my gosh, what is that? But it's almost a memory of what was so in and what was happening at that time. Yes. I love that so much. Meg, thank you. Meg, thank you so much for um, taking your time out. You have two small children and this is a busy time of day. And I'm really appreciative for to you and your husband and everyone who has made this possible. So thank you so much. I know this was not easy for you to make some time in your schedule to chat with me, but I really appreciate it. And I know that our um, listeners will really, um, really enjoy uh, all of the wonderful information and tips and conversation that you have offered in stories. And um, where can they find you? How can, how can the listeners find you? Oh, thank you. 
Thank you for having me. This was so lovely. Oh. This was the best hour of my day. I was so glad to do this. You're so sweet. Um, I am on Instagram as um, my handle is at the needle point finisher. At the needle so point I finisher. I'm on there and follow along, send a DM, and we can plan finishing together. There you go. I love it. Thank you so much, Meg. And listeners, thank you so much, as always, for listening. And I hope to see you next time. Thanks, Mary Catherine. Thank mm-hmm. you.